God is at work through His local church and through the teaching of His Word. This morning on MyBridge Radio, we are pleased to share a favorite message from Carney E. Free. Here's Pastor Adrian Boykin. Try to describe the one who is holy, who is self-existent and self-sufficient, who is all-powerful and all-knowing and everywhere present, who is always full of love, who is infinite in wisdom. Try to do that, you little finite mind, in 30 minutes. Could I get someone else to come up and preach this morning? My goodness, I mean, this is like the most impossible task. No shortage of volumes have been written on this one question, who is God? We are severely limited in our understanding, of course, but God has revealed much of himself to us And what we want to talk about this morning is the nature of God, the work of God, and the mission of God. Last week, we started our Rooted series with a vision of what the church could be. Today is about this question, who is God? Let's just remind ourselves these great words by A.W. Tozer, a late great pastor of another generation, when he wrote in his wonderful book, The Knowledge of the Holy, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Ooh, I wonder if you believe that. I actually believe that's true. Whatever it is that enters into your mind, whatever mental portrait you have of God will become the most important thing about you. In fact, our behavior will follow our portrait of God. Your prayer life, your desire to share the hope of Christ to others, the way you treat neighbors and family members, the way you treat people you like and you don't like, all of that will emerge from your mental portrait of God. It's like a magnetic ability of the soul that we just kind of drift to whatever our portrait of God might be. When I talk to someone who tells me that they don't believe in God, I often ask them, would you tell me about the God you don't believe in? And I can almost guarantee you they will give a mental portrait of God that I could not believe in either. And I would not worship either. Now in the church, we have some false mental portraits of God as well. Like some of us think of God as like this cuddly Santa Claus in the sky whose mission is dedicated to our pleasure, which will result in you liking him a lot, but it will not attract any reverence or awe, will it? Other people think of God as this cosmic dictator in the sky, which will attract respect or fear perhaps, but it will not attract any love. It will not lead you to love your enemies as Jesus calls us to do. Whatever your mental image of God, that is the most important thing about you. What we need, my friends, is a very thoughtful, well-grounded portrait of God that starts with the scriptures that triggers in us a sense of awe and triggers in us a sense of intimacy and affection as well. Both of these, awe for the greatness of God and affection for the kindness and the love of God who is described as our good father. You know, the word father, the biblical word father is Abba, which means daddy. When you think of a father, a good father, you think of respect, but you also think of intimacy, and that's what we're invited into. So my prayer and my hope this morning is more than a study about God. 
It's not so much today that I want to give a study about God. My prayer and my hope this morning is that we would enter in just a little bit to the character of God. We would gain a little bit more of a glimpse of the character of God. And as we do so, perhaps we would have a little bit of an encounter with the God who is holy and the God who is love. We're going to look at a bit about his nature, his mission, and his work. Let's start with his nature. I'm going to slowly read a passage right now from 1 John chapter 1, which if you want to follow along with me, you're welcome to do so. It's in the very back of the Bible, but I would actually encourage you, even instead of opening your Bible to 1 John 1 right now, just, just sit back and listen to this word. As I read it slowly, allow it to, to kind of sink into your heart as you consider these beautiful words from the Apostle John, who was a dear friend of Jesus, and he's reflecting here on the glory of the Trinity that we sang about this morning. Listen to 1 John 1, verses 1 through 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and we testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write these things to make our joy complete. So think about this. We are invited into the same fellowship that the Father had with the Son from before the dawn of creation. We're invited into the fellowship of the Trinity. What John has explained here is we saw Jesus So John, of course, an apostle of Jesus and others that he's writing to there in the church in Ephesus in the first century, he says to them, we saw him, we touched him, we were with him, and he came and in his presence is eternal life. Eternal life does not begin when you die. Eternal life begins right now as we trust in Christ. As Christ came, he brought with him eternal life, okay? And what John is explaining here is as Jesus brings with him eternal life, part of what he brings with him is this invitation to share in the exact same fellowship that the Father and the Son had before time and space came into existence. He's saying we don't have to wait until we die to enter into that fellowship. We can do so right now, amen? You can do so right now. Don't wait till you die to gain eternal life. You begin to gain eternal life through the fellowship of the Father and Son even today. So here's how it goes. I know it's very, very difficult to understand, and so we talk about it regularly as we see it in the Scripture, but the Trinity is this belief that you have one God, one what, and three persons, three who's. One what, three who's. And the teaching is this, that God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, forever interdependent, forever united, forever in this beautiful dance of fellowship from before time and space began. 
In fact, the early church fathers used this Greek word to describe the relationship between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit from before the dawn of creation. It was called perichoresis. Peri, think of periscope. Periscope means around, right? Okay, peri means around. Choresis, from choresis we get choreography, which is dance, right? So perichoresis is to dance around. And the way the early church fathers described the relationship of the Trinity from before creation was the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were in the most loving dance, so joyful, in a dance. And then they decided, let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness to share in that dance. Wow. To share in this kind of fellowship, this love that existed from before time began. That's what we are invited into, my friends. It's not just getting your stamp on your passport so you can go to heaven. It's entering into the dance of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the same love the Father had with the Son. Jesus says the exact same thing over in John chapter 17. Remember, he's praying for his disciples, and as he prays in John 17 for his disciples, he says this, I pray that they all may be one as you and I, Father, are one. May they be in us as I am in you and you are in me. May they likewise be in us that through our presence in them, then the world will know that you sent me. Woo, my goodness. The presence of God in us, it's that which, is, it's that which distinguishes us from those who do not know Christ. It's not just what we believe. It's not holding on to certain truths. Those are really, really important. But more important is the magnificent presence of God in us that distinguishes us from anyone else on earth. Now, the doctrine of God, the doctrine of the Trinity, is not a belief in three gods. Just do a little bit of theology with me, just for a short bit. It's not a belief in three gods. It's not a belief that Jesus Christ is the highest creation of God. Okay, that's an ancient heresy that's been condemned again and again and again. It's not a belief that there's like three parts of God, that the Father is part and the Son is part and the Holy Spirit is part. That's called partialism, also a heresy. Okay, it's not a belief that there's three modes of God, that it's like water and vapor and ice, H2O. That's three different modes. That's called modalism. No, it's not that. It's one what, one God, three interdependent persons. And if you can't understand that, Join the crowd, nor can I. Okay, you will not be able to understand it, and that is okay. There is great mystery in this, and uh, I would like to be able to give a great analogy for it, but there is not a great analogy for it because there is no one like our God. There is nothing that's ever been created that is like our God. And so, while we can apprehend it, we can lift the teaching of the Trinity clearly from the pages of Scripture, it's okay to say, I see it in Scripture and therefore I believe it, even though I can't completely comprehend it. That's really okay. That's, re- that's really a good place to be when you think of the greatness of God, that there should be some mystery in our understanding of God. This mystery is the starting point of our understanding of God. His nature is glorious and he's given us much of who he is, but we won't fully comprehend this side of heaven. So we begin with his nature when we ask this question, who is God? And then we continue from there to understand a bit of his works. 
God reveals himself in his works in three primary ways. One is through creation. Two is through the incarnate Jesus Christ. And number three is through the scriptures, through the Bible that will last forever. Okay? One way you can think about this is God has two different books. He has the book of his world, the book, the book of his beautiful universe that he's made that speaks grandly about his character, and then also the book of his word, the book of the scriptures. And the book of his word likewise points to Jesus in the Old Testament and then reflects back on Jesus in the New Testament. We see both of these books, as it were, coming together in the very first line of the Bible that goes like this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's where it starts. In the beginning, God. There's nothing but God in the perichoretic dance The perichoresis in a dance, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, there's nothing else but God's self-existent and self-sufficient, and he chooses in his delight as an artist to form us and to form all of creation. He chooses to create the heavens and the earth. And we get to witness the artist's delight as you go through the rest of Genesis 1, which I would encourage you to do on a regular basis. There's light and there's dark, and God says, ooh, it's good. There's the stars in the sky, And God said, ooh, it's good. And the beautiful vegetables and fruit for our delight and the giant sequoias. And God said, oh, it's so good. And these animals thrashing about whales in the ocean and hummingbirds taking flight from garden to garden space. And God says, oh, it's good. And on and on, he says, it's good, it's good, it's good. Until he gets to verse 26, and God says, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. And do you see even there hints of the Trinity? Do you see it? Let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness. It's one what, it's three who's from the very beginning. And so, verse 27, God created mankind in his own image and in his own likeness. Male and female, he created them both. And it's really important that we understand this, that it's men and women oftentimes operating together that most reflect the glory of God. Like we here at Carney E. Free, we really affirm men. And we here at Carney E. Free, we really affirm women. And it's men and women operating together that regularly reflects the glory of God as he's placed his image his likeness, which are synonyms on each of us. But it really takes us together, men and women together, to reflect God's character. We'll never do it completely, but we do it far more together than we do individually. It's vital to understand that the Bible is the story of God moving toward us to create out of love and then to sustain us and then ultimately to redeem us from ourselves. I love the way John Stott, wonderful theologian, put it in his great book, Basic Christianity. I'm reading right now from our rooted book. But you've got to keep in mind that God is the mover. Okay, God comes to us. Christianity is not a religion of us working our way toward God. God chooses to move toward us, and you see it even there at the beginning, at creation. Listen to John Stott. He says, the first four words of the Bible, in the beginning God, are more than an introduction to the creation story or even to the book of Genesis. They supply the key which opens up our understanding to the Bible as a whole. They tell us that the religion of the Bible is a religion of the initiative of God. 
You can never take God by surprise. You can never anticipate him. He always makes the first move. He was always there in the beginning. Before man existed, God acted. Before man stirs himself to seek God, God sought man in the Bible. We do not see man groping after God. We see God reaching after man. So here's the way Genesis 1 concludes. God sees all that he has made as he reaches after us, as he reaches into creation. And this beautiful masterpiece of an artist, the greatest artist ever, he puts his paintbrush down and he looks over his work and he says, oh, it's very good. It's very good. He looks over each epic of creation and he says, it's good. He looks over men and women created together in the image and likeness of God. And what does he say? Very good. It's very good. Because it's us, amongst all of God's glorious creation, that are made to manifest God to one another, to manifest God's character and his love in the way we operate toward each other. And friends, this emotion that God had after creating that first couple, it's the same emotion that he has over you. When he made you, I believe he put his paintbrush down and he said, it's very good. Those beautiful babies that we just saw dedicated, very good. Deep breath. Thank you, God, for your gift. It's really important that you don't see God as like a cosmic, unfeeling warden in the sky. He has joy. God enjoys what he makes. And he enjoys welcoming us into his relationship, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And the Bible says that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. God has emotion. So while God the Father does not have a body, simple theology here, you can make no mistake, when God created, he smiled. And he smiles over each creation. He creates, and then another part of his work is this, he sustains. And we talk a lot about his creation, but perhaps we don't talk enough about the fact that God sustains the universe and he sustains you and me. We're gonna look at Colossians chapter one up on the screen. And just by the way, if you struggle a little bit with this idea that I already said that Jesus is not a creation of God, but he is God in flesh, equal to God the Father, I encourage you to read Colossians one. You can also read John one. You can read 1 John one. You can read Hebrews one. And you can read Genesis 1. That's a good place to start. All of those speak to the complete equality of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the complete divinity of the Godhead. But look at this in Colossians 1. You can't miss it here. The Son is the image of the invisible God. Wow. Like if you want to know what God is like, look at the Son. Look at Jesus Christ. Read the Gospels. Soak yourself in the Gospels. If you ever get confused on the goodness of the character of God, soak in the Gospels, and that tells you how good God is. Because the Son is the exact image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created. As the ancient creed said, he was begotten, not made. Begotten, not made. He's not created by God the Father. He's begotten in that sense. He's the firstborn over all creation. For in him, all things were created. Could he be a created being if he creates all things? No, okay. 
All things are created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He sustains us. He sustains this universe. One thing that I've been doing in the morning when I wake up, maybe not every morning, but many mornings, even before I go get my cup of coffee, which I really, really want as soon as the alarm goes off, I let my feet hang over my bed and I put my hand over my heart and I feel my heart beating. And if it's not beating, I just call 911. (laughs) But if it is beating, I take a deep breath and I say, good morning, Lord. Good morning, Lord. Thank you for another day, Lord. Because it strikes me that, at least for my personality, I'm either going to say, good morning, Lord, or I'm gonna say, Good Lord, morning. (laughs) Right? It's going to be one of those. How about you? Yeah, it's going to be one of those too. And so I want to remember at the start of each day, God gave me this day. He's pumping blood through my heart right now. Good morning, Lord. And I feel the breath in my lungs, and I thank you, Lord, for the breath in my lungs. And the sunrise that you brought once again, and the sunset that you brought once again, and I thank you, Lord, for the harvest that's coming once again, and you know, the the change of the seasons that God brings about, the sustenance that he provides to our world and to you and me. I know a very common question goes something like this, If, if God is good, if he's sustaining the universe, why is there so much evil in the world? I mean, if I were God, I know that I would stop that, I hear the question, And I I totally get that. Like, it's a very fair question. There's a ton of evil in this world. You look at war that's happening in Ukraine, you say, how? We've got got to pray for those situations. Pray that God's will would be done in those situations. It's a fair question. And we'll address that in a couple weeks. But another fair question would be this. How is there so much beauty in this world? How is there so much beauty in this world with humanity as ugly as we can be? Like, how ugly would this world be if the Holy Spirit withdrew his sustaining hand for even a moment? That's a good question that we should ask ourselves, to kind of question our doubts at times. Our God holds all things together. We see his nature. We see his work. And then finally, we see his mission. Friends, there are basically three views on God. You look at the different religions across history, There's basically just three views on God and then a whole bunch of other tentacles through those views. And the first one is pantheism. Pantheism is this basic belief that all is God. Okay, this is what Hinduism believes. This is what many of the ancient um, Greek religions believe, that all is God. So you have one continuous line between God and humanity. You are God, I am God. Very scary thought when we looked in the mirror this morning, right? But that's what pantheism and many New Age religions believe, that all is God. There is no separation between heaven and earth. There is no separation between God and humanity. Another very common view would be called deism. And many people, I think, kind of just slip into deism today. And a number of our early founding fathers were deists in America. Others were Christians, but several of them were deists. And they kind of believed God created, and then he just left it all to us. Good luck. And God doesn't answer prayer. He doesn't sustain things. It's ours to take care of everything. I would call this almost a functional atheism. 
There's many people that functionally are like atheists even in the church today. They think of God as creator, but the rest of it they say, I'm on my own, I'll live my life, and I really won't think about accountability or prayer or anything like that. Two separate lines, heaven up here, earth down here. God up here, people down here. The third view, of course, is biblical Christianity or classical Judaism also believed this, okay? Some contemporary Judaism doesn't really go there, but certainly classical and conservative Judaism today does hold to this, and Christianity, when it's biblically taught, always holds to this. It's God and humanity overlapping, and God chooses to interlock with humanity, God chooses to permeate all that we say and do. He enters time and space, and he is with us even today. I really hope you believe that. Even in this room, as we are here together this morning, please don't come to church just to go to church. Come to church for the purpose of encountering God, praying and trusting God, we ask you to come down. May your glory dwell upon this place. Heaven and earth are full of your glory. May our church be full of your glory. Okay, because our God enters in, he permeates. He interlocks with us. He overlaps with time and space. Isaiah 6, 3, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Here's the story. Out of love, God created us to live in shalom with him, to live in peace, to live in integrity, to live in wholeness with him. He created us to live in shalom and peace and in reconciliation with one another. And it lasted for a little while. Two chapters. Okay, it lasted for a little while. And then the original couple and every other person thereafter has said to our creator, you know what, God? You might have given all this beauty. You might have given me my lanes, my sandbox, my boundaries. But I'm gonna do it my way. I'm gonna do it my way. That old Frank Sinatra song, I'm telling you, that is it. That is the essence of human rebellion. I did it my way. That's the essence of human rebellion. I'm gonna do what I want in spite of what you have put in place for me to thrive. And when we do that, it it reinforces the fracture that's already in our nature from the very first couple. So up on the screen here, you'll see a little drawing of these four different relationships that God has given to all of us and how each of them have been fractured. So you're at the center there, not literally, but God is always at the center, but for the purpose of this illustration, here's what happened with that first couple, and here's what happens with us. Our relationship with God gets fractured. That's the most important relationship. But there's also a relationship with ourselves. Like, anyone have a perfect relationship with yourself? No, we don't have, like, we get confused about ourselves, and that gets fractured. And our relationships with each other, in our families, in our neighborhoods, with our kids, they get fractured. And our relationship with the earth, with the world that God has created, as he originally intended, when you read Genesis 1 and 2, it also is fractured. And you see the consequences of all of those as you read Genesis 3, and basically the consequences of the fall unpack from Genesis 3 to Genesis chapter 11. And then starting in Genesis 12, you have the vision for the rest of the Bible. Really, the vision for the rest of the story starting in Genesis 12 is the restoration of all of those relationships, bringing those relationships back to that place of shalom that God originally planned. And so when we pray, our Father who art in heaven, 
We're literally praying our Father who is very near to us. Yes, he's in highest heaven, but because he permeates and he interlocks and he overlaps with this world, and because in biblical Jewish thought, uh, the, the nearest heaven is the atmosphere. It's right here. That's it, guys. This right here, that's the nearest heaven. You're there. So like when we pray our Father who art in heaven, we're saying our Father who is near. Holy is your name. May your name be seen as treasured and set apart and unique and beautiful. And then we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it's always done in heaven. So bring heaven down to earth more and more. This restoration is what God is after. His mission is restoration. The vision is restored relationship with God. Restored relationship with the earth. Restored relationship with each other. Restored relationship with ourselves as he interacts with us each and every day. So let me just close with this. Like, God is present and he is active when your kids are doing really well. And God is present and active when your kids are not doing well. Our job is to respond to his presence. Be aware of and respond to his presence. Our God is present and active when we're healthy and wealthy. And our God is present and active when we're sick and we're struggling. Our job is to be aware and to respond to his presence. What he desires is this restoration of all things which begins with recognizing the goodness of God for us even today as he desires to bring his shalom into our world, into our hearts more and more. And he desires us to live in that beautiful fellowship that the Son had with the Father that beautiful dance from before creation even began. And if you know that, you can say it's well with my soul. Things may not be right on the outside, but it is well with my soul because I am with the Father. I am with the Son. I am with the Holy Spirit. Thank you for joining us this morning for a favorite message from Pastor Adrian Boykin from Carney E. Free. If you'd like to hear this message again or more like it, check out Heard On Air on the MyBridge Radio app or online at mybridgeradio.net.